Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zinati Kuma. Tackling your stock-related questions this evening are Derek Jansa van Rensburg from Anchor and Nick Krell from FNB Wealth and Investments. Don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Thanks so much, gentlemen, for your time. Let's start off with that big inflation print that came out of the U.S. today, surprising, um, and coming in at 7.7% year-on-year in October compared to expectations of around 7.9% and 8%. So with this inflation accelerating at a slower pace than expected, uh, starting with you, Nick, I mean, uh, and also you had the labor market also showing signs of loosening. We had those uh, initial jobless claims rising more than expected. Would you say that now all eyes are on the Fed? Well, I think the Fed is looking at uh, the current market reaction and they're starting to sweat in a big way. Yeah. Uh, US markets are absolutely flying at the moment. Um, and it gives some sort of idea as to how I think beaten down these markets are. And, you know, just having some sort of idea that almost any slight positive news uh, leads to significant appreciation and excitement amongst investors. That ultimately is going to, you know, not be the reaction that the Fed wants to see. Uh, they don't want uh, monetary conditions to loosen. Um, and so for them, they suddenly going to be find themselves between a rock and a hard place where, you know, they're going to have to at some part start communicating uh, that, uh, you know, their interest rate hikes are going to be paused at some point. And I think we are pretty close to seeing that start to happen. Um, and then later down the line, they're going to have to ultimately probably pivot mm. um, in that uh, they cannot you know, treat the market too bullishly and give the market hope and excitement because you can see what happens with markets uh, if that were to sort of transpire. So it's going to be it's going to be tough for the Fed, I think, um, you know, looking forward from here. Yeah. Any good news? Because now the markets have really ignored uh, the challenges that still exist with China, with the worsening situation there and um, with the COVID-19 curbs. And then also yesterday we had a little bit of negative sentiment filtering through to the tech stocks because of that F FTX situation with Binance. But anyway, markets have brushed that off. Um, Derek, do you think then we could see talks of a market bottom resurfacing? Absolutely. I think, as Nick alluded to, I think markets are going to be eyeing that pivot point where you do start to see interest rates topping out uh, and let's call it pausing before we start to see them hopefully coming down a little bit. But it's going to be data driven. So today's data point was extremely significant in terms of what we've seen over the last few months. Um, you know, where you obviously have this expected number. And for so many months, it's been above expectations and markets have sold off quite sharply on the back of this uh, inflation number in the past. Today, quite different. Uh, obviously, U.S. markets are all flying. Uh, it's all back into growth. It's all sunny days. That's what we're seeing at the moment. Um, so certainly, I think that there is going to start to be some talk around the bottom of the market. I don't expect raceaway markets. Don't expect a V-shaped recovery to the upside. But I do think that we are going to actually probably start to see a bit more volatility in that you're going to see some decent updates, which is obviously what we're seeing at the moment, and probably trade within a band in the short term. Uh, but certainly this is a data point that points to positivity, pointing to the right direction. Um, 
certainly I think if you are sitting on cash and not invested in the market, uh, one would need to think about expending some of that cash and use some of these low levels that we've seen through the course of the last 12 to 18 months to start positioning yourself in some key equities at this point. Mm. Nick, could you say that the cooling down in inflation that we are seeing in the US, could we see that filtering through to other markets? Because we also had comments coming out of an uh, ECB po- policymaker saying that um, he sees um, peak inflation in the eurozone within reach. Yeah, I certainly think so. Um, you know, there is so much negative sentiment out, um, you know, in the markets in general, investors in general. Um, and I think that's sort of filtered there, you know, its way through to almost every management team, every 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 call that you kind of see or program you see on television. Guys are and starting to show significant nerves around what is around the corner um, mm-hmm. and thinking, you know what, uh, our top line growth, which has been pretty robust over the last you know, two years post COVID kind of recovery, that's probably going to be something of the past. Uh, inflation's been going up. We're going to have to manage costs aggressively. That's where the focus has been. Um, and, you know, I think looking forward, there's very few companies out there that are not looking at their cost line as their sort of first first sort of port of call. Uh, and in that, it's going to be in- inevitably, uh, you know, disinflationary when, you know, guys are, there's less hiring out in the market, uh, less appetite for um, just looking at the top line growth at any sort of cost. So um, I certainly think that this is going to filter through and currently is filtering through. Uh, inflation at its peak has probably passed in a fair amount of markets or is about to do so in most markets, uh, barring some other geopolitical crisis uh, which is unknown and has hit us um, over the you know the course of 2022 so you know barring that i i think that's right yeah and uh, really investors right now will be looking to see if they they will see those cooling inflationary pressures when it comes to company earnings let's take a look at a company that has not been immune to those cost pressures and that's sappy although they have been able to offset uh, that negative um those negative cost pressures by increasing prices there's a question here uh, on sappy uh, would the panel say that sappy has reached the peak of the wave that they've been on this year derek yeah so it's obviously done exceptionally well um over the last few months um I think it's also driven by a top line effect, as you mentioned there. So, yes, there certainly are some cost pressures taking place, which they're obviously having to filter through to the ultimate uh, client or consumer at the end of the day. But I think that it's being absorbed. And I think that, uh, you know, if you can just get a little bit of a downturn in some of the input costs, uh, which I think will filter through over the next uh, six to eight, call it six to 12 months, then the cost line side of things could, one could argue, could have peaked. And if we can just maintain the sort of top line growth that SAPI are, are delivering at the moment, you might find that um, it con- continues to grow, not as quickly at the, uh, as the pace that we've seen it, but it's certainly done well. So um, I'd probably be a holder of the stock as opposed to a buyer um, and maybe take a little bit off the table. So done very nicely. All right. On that, yeah, you say that we can still expect to see growth, but maybe not at the pace that we have seen it on this year. And I mean, they have said in their outlook that they do expect those challenges to persist. But just looking at, you know, 
the challenges that persist and also the kind of cooling off of the levers that did support their performance in FY22. Would you say, though, uh, Nick, that fundamentally SAPI has turned a corner? Well, listen, I mean, I think what, what COVID and the recovery through COVID just the last couple of years in the market can teach you is that uh, as soon as you start thinking that the story is supported for the next five years, it's probably not. Um, so there have been sort of significant, I think, um, tailwinds for SAPI. I think they've executed quite well on that sort of side. But after that level of sort of execution, that growth that has sort of come through, uh, I, for one, would be nervous uh, from, from these sort of levels. Um, so, so, yeah, I would be hold at best, but probably taking profit. Um, I know that their debt has been a, a concern for a lot of investors. Just now, um, I, I, yeah, I forgot what they said when it's like their lowest in, how, in how, however many years. Um, it's now at just over one uh, billion. Are you comfortable with those levels, Derek? Yeah, I think that they, they can manage those levels. I think it all comes down to where we do see interest rates peak out eventually. So... I think that as long as you can service that debt with strong top line growth, which they seem to be doing at the moment, then you can digest that kind of debt on a balance sheet. So I wouldn't be too worried about the debt on balance sheet. And if anything, it might be somewhat of a tailwind looking two years out if we do start to see a peak in the interest rate cycle and those interest rates starting to come down. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's normal for a lot of these listed businesses to have debt. Um, but yeah, as long as you can service it with very strong top line growth, which is what we're seeing at the moment. But as, as, as I said, the share price has run hard. It is looking lofty. Um, might, might be a decent time to lock in a bit of profit, but certainly keep probably a core position in it. All right. There's a question on another counter that came out with results today. What's up with the upbeat mood on multi-choice? Is the bad news on multi-choice baked in or is there just optimism on the outlook? I was also quite confused about that, um, seeing that share price up almost 3% uh, when they basically swung from a profit to a loss. And then you look at their core, um, the, their, their, their profit measure, it was up by 2%. So not very encouraging uh, numbers there when you look at the bottom line. But uh, yeah, Nick, how do you feel about multi-choice right now? Do you think that the bad news is baked in or is just that the outlook is more optimistic well i think i mean you know listening to their ceo kind of talk um a lot of the sort of losses here were um spending money anticipated you know for for what they expect to be a bumper sort of second half in the world cup right so you spend the money now you get uh you know decoders out into the right hands you see a significant sort of tick up and you generate those sort of profits um you know over the next sort of six months um and i think i think that that certainly helped um their sort of results on the day uh, and the way that the, the market sort of um you know, took those sort of results in stride. If I have a look at multi-choice at the moment, I mean, I don't think it looks particularly attractive. I don't think it looks expensive. Uh, but, you know, it's the type of business where it cannot control, um, you know, all the facets that you'd want them to control in a business. I mean, a lot of their, um, you know, specifically sporting rights are going to be in dollars, yet they, you know, get uh, revenue in local currency. Uh, Often, if we look into Africa, they've made significant sort of losses on currency translation, and those don't necessarily seem to be behind them. So, you know, we're always waiting for the moment where suddenly they manage to pair that, that, that sort of those losses back and start getting back to profitability. Uh, but, you know, it's out of their control in the sense that it really is just currency.
Um, so for me to get excited, I'd want to see a pretty significantly cheaper share price. Yeah. Um, Derek, would you be going in at these levels or waiting a little bit? I think you've got to wait a little bit. I mean, if you just look at the sort of basic metric in terms of a PE, it's trading on a forward 12-month PE of about 12.2 times. So in this kind of market, I think that, um, yeah, it's okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not that excited at these prices. I think one also needs to remember that is that it pays out a decent yield. So, um, you know, sitting on the share price, you are going to be obviously rewarded with some decent dividends. Um, but I am worried about that South African segment, as Nick alluded to, a lot of sort of currency fluctuations contributing towards that bottom line number. But um, this, the SA component worries me a little bit. Um, I think I'd need to do a little bit more evaluation through these results um, and come back with a definitive sort of view on it. But I do think that it's starting to look a little bit lofty. I'd prefer to buy it a bit cheaper. Um, and again, just bear in mind that it does pay that decent yield. So you need to you need to be buying it at, at an attractive enough yield in this kind of interest rate environment. There's a question here in the mining space. Um, is yesterday's offer by Northern for full control of RB Platt a desperate attempt to delay the inevitable takeover by Implats, or does it have real long-term benefits for Northern? Firstly, is the uh, takeover by Implats of, of RB Platt inevitable? Nick? No, it's not inevitable, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, specifically, I think, you know, that sort of takeover from an implants perspective makes a lot more sense. And to be fair, um, with their sort of productions ultimately over time probably winding down somewhat in a South African kind of context, um, I think they need that asset. Um, as, as the caller sort of alluded to, uh, Northern doesn't necessarily need that sort of asset. Um, so I think if we have a look at who's and how they've played things over the last sort of 12 months, really, I think it's probably at the moment looking as though they've played this a lot better than Implats have. Um, but there's a lot of uncertainty, right? And, you know, we, we've got to see what actually happens. I mean, obviously, the Northern share price or the, the, the offer um, is bigger than the, the Implats kind of offer. So we're going to have to see pretty quickly, I suppose, from an Implats perspective, whether they're up there sort of offer and ultimately what's going to sort of happen. Uh, but as an asset, it makes a lot more sense uh, for implants than it does for Northern in terms of that it really is adjacent to their properties and, and bolsters their sort of production profile looking forward. All right. It makes more sense for implants, but for Northern, obviously, they see something. So, um, Derek, just in terms of their bottom line, how would RB Platts filter through to Northern's bottom line? Would it be significant? Yeah, for Northern, it would be significant. I think you've got to take a two-year view on it. So obviously, there's going to be, let's just call it some short-term capex, whether you pay with it in cash or shares. But the sort of accrual uh, bottom line effect over the next two years is certainly significant um, and could even take, uh, you know, earnings to double what it is at the moment. So, you know, that's obviously going to be dependent on what underlying commodity prices do. I think just also going back to, to Nick's point, um, it, what it comes down to is life of mine. And I think that's where Impala find themselves themselves in a very tricky situation. You know, part of the acquisition of RB Platts would certainly uh, bolster their asset base in terms of mines um, and extend the overall or the average life of mine in terms of what's in their stable. So it will be a very interesting 
thing to see how it plays out, where the implants do up the offer. But obviously, everything's got a price. You know, uh, you know, you don't want to obviously spend too much cash on balance sheet or dilute, dilute shareholders too far um, just to chase an asset to, to ensure that you've got skin in the game for, for longer than your existing life or mine. So it is an interesting permutation that's taking place at the moment in this platinum space. You know, coupled with that, we've obviously seen softer palladium and platinum prices through the course of this year. And for the first time, we've started to see a bit of a turnaround. So the big question is, where do these underlying commodity prices go? And what is the net effect in terms of earnings if we do anticipate higher platinum and palladium prices? So, uh, And it looks like they want to go a little bit higher from where we are at the moment. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting space. We've got to keep a close eye on it. Um, yeah, I think if 18 months ago you were an RB Platts shareholder, you'd be smiling now. Yeah, they're the real winner here. But now, with chasing this asset now with, with both of them in the ring, are we, could we see these counters now, Northern and Implats, being in overpayment territory? Do you think that maybe Northern is already in there, uh, Nick? Listen, so the, the premium that they paid um, for the asset for, for both of their stakes is, you know, was significant. And, you know, as Derek has said, uh, commodity prices, spot prices have probably come down all those sort of levels. Um, so I think there was a significant sort of premium paid. Um, always when looking at this, and again, it talks kind of to Derek's point on this, is that you, you don't buy a mining asset uh, for what it can do for your share price this year. You buy it because you're going to be able to increase your life of mind and have that production through a multitude of years ahead of you. Um, and that's what you'd like to sort of protect. Um, specifically, I suppose, in the platinum and palladium um, sort of space, there are very few ore bodies out there that can really get explo exploited, right? So if you're looking at pretty good quality type of assets, you don't have a plethora of options. So if you're wanting to get scale and you feel bullish in the medium to long term on the market, ultimately you need to pay that premium and rather get that asset under your control. Hmm. All right. There's a question here on Trillador. Uh, this morning, uh, Trillador's share price was down 19%. This is a day after it held its annual general meeting. Was there anything nerve-wracking out of that, or did it just drum in the challenges that the company has had in the past year? Derek, do you look at Trillador? I didn't really watch it that closely, to be honest. But what I can tell you is that just looking at the price now, it actually traded... 1,882 shares today. So one needs to put into perspective that uh, this is a stock that's played, plagued with uh, high degrees of illiquidity mm -hmm. and to move the share price is quite quite easy to do. So I wouldn't read too much into the AGM. I think it's just an illiquidity issue. Ah, all right. I mean, just looking though at, you know, um, the fundamentals right now of Trillador because those challenges, um, they, they, they complained of uh, high steel and aluminium prices and also less demand for their safety gates because people are now living in estates which are deemed to be quite safe. There was actually an article a month ago in the Financial Mail by Anthony Clark with a headline, Don't Close This Door Yet, uh, with I am rating the stock as a speculative buy. Um, Nick, would you be brave enough to get into the stock? Nick? Yeah, so I think, I mean, the, the, the biggest um, challenge that's really faced them has been that input cost, right? So, I mean, steel prices have gone crazy. 
right? So, you know, if you as a consumer were to look at what price you would have paid, uh, you know, eight months ago for a treaty door gate and what you pay now, you feel pretty, pretty, pretty sort of burnt about it. So, yeah. you know, even in a weakening type of environment, that it's really been an input cost. Now, the question that you then got to ask is whether those input costs are going to remain as high as they currently are or have been, uh, you know, over the next couple of years. And if they're not, um, then yes, it could be a bit of an opportunity. But uh, in the short, in a short period of time, they really are facing sort of multiple challenges. Yeah. Um. Transaction Capital snuck in a trading update after 5 o'clock today. Um, so they're saying that uh, HIPS from continuing operations, they expect that for FY22 to be more than 50% higher than the prior period. Um, with the company's preferred measure, core EPS, uh, to rise by between 15 and 19%. I actually saw the market reaction quite interesting because they didn't uh, react positively to that update. And looking at that share, it, it's really struggled to kind of gain momentum from the high that we did see late in April. What's your take on transaction capital, um, Derek? Okay, so just bear in mind that that trading statement came out uh, at half past five. So it was after market close. Okay. Um, so the share price didn't actually have some time to react to it. Mm. Um, you know, obviously they've been very busy uh, in the we buy cars space trying to bolster their overall um, asset base and obviously uh, move into multiple uh, areas locally and offshore. Personally, I think that the management have proven themselves. You know, this is a business that's actually delivered some really strong headline earnings per share growth for many, many years. And this is on the backdrop of a very tough economic environment. So it does fetch a very lofty valuation. And one needs to argue, is that lofty valuation justified? Um, I think point in case, just reading through this or, or kind of surface level reading through the, the trading statement, I think it does deserve that lofty valuation. So they also did a bit of a capital raise, I think uh, about three months ago, around 36 Rand, uh, you know, bolstered their balance sheet, put some cash on balance sheet. They, you know, management are busy. They're, they're looking to enhance earnings for shareholders. And if they need to use uh, equity to do so, they're obviously doing it. I mean, the timing wasn't ideal. We did see the share price peak around 50 and bottom around 35 Rand a share. But it does look like it's on the right tra trajectory line. I do like the assets. I do like the business. Um, I do own the share. And I think that uh, you will probably see some higher levels closer towards that 50 Rand. Not going to move there in a straight line. Um, but I am excited about the future for transaction capital and what they could poten potentially deliver, particularly over the next 18 months. Derek talks about that lofty valuation and that basically it is justified. Do you think, Nick, um, that it still will be kind of a comfortable level considering how the, the challenges that are in the macroeconomic environment? Yeah, I think that's exactly the, the, the question. I mean, uh, really for them, I think what has driven the share price has been the astounding success that we buy cars. Price, they managed to sort of acquire it and, and, and how well that's traded and how much sort of profit it's actually brought to the bottom line. Uh, if we have a look in a, a global sort of context, you know, that sort of area, although different business sort of models, um, you know, that, those shares were the ones that flew this time last year, and they have come under significant pressure over the last sort of 12 months. And it really comes down to, I suppose, whether or not the business model is sustainable, number one, um, I, I probably think it is. 
um, slightly different to a little bit more of the speculative business models offshore. Uh, but second to that would be the market is going to remain as robust as it has been, you know, post, I suppose, COVID. Um, and that's a little bit more of uncertainty. From a valuation kind of perspective, I think the, the asset now sits in what we buy cars. So that's what's going, that performance in that segment is what's really going to drive the share price. Mm-hmm. Economic environment. Ah, all right, gentlemen, let's wrap it up. Uh, get to your stock picks. Uh, Derek, what will it be today? Okay, so my stock pick this evening is going to be Apple. Um, I hope everybody bought it yesterday because the market's flying at the moment. <laughs> I think it's up about 6% today. Um, obviously, on, on the back of that inflation number. I don't need to go into too much detail around why I'm choosing Apple. Everybody knows the business. I think one of the key components for me why I like Apple is just really that lofty um, cash on balance sheet that they've got. Uh, That gives me a sense of comfort in this very high interest rates environment. Uh, Anything with a bit of gearing or debt kind of uh, makes me lift an eyebrow. So I do think obviously uh, as we position and as we look forward and obviously uh, you know, over the next 12 to 18 months, you start to see some flow into growth assets. Uh, Apple's been extremely resilient out of all the FANG stocks, and I think it's well positioned to make new highs as we look forward over the next 12 months. So I'm using it as a buying opportunity. All right. What are you buying at this point, Nick? Well, I'm not buying tech today after this market move. I think that's a, that's, that's a bit too robust. Um, I'm going to stick local. Um, I'm going to suggest buying uh, Momentum Metropolitan. Uh, so in the sort of life insurer or insurance type of section, financial, I think uh, if we have a look at all of these sort of insurance companies, they're trading at significant discounts to where they perhaps should trade in a normalized type of environment. Therefore, as I look forward from a macroeconomic sort of recovery, I do think that there's a re-rating opportunity. If you have a look at Momentum Metropolitan as well, I think they've been executing very well um, over the last sort of two, three years, and it's not reflected in their share price at all. They sit at significant discounts to their embedded value. I don't think that's justified, um, and I think it looks very attractive at these levels. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and for your analysis today. Thanks to my guests, Derek Janssen van Rensburg from Anchor and Nick Krell from FNB Wealth and Investments. Do join me again tomorrow for the Friday edition of Stockwatch. The show now is live at 1 p.m., but do send those questions just before that. Have a good evening. Thank you.